1 Peter 2, 1-3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You may be seated. Brother, why don't you come on up here and we'll, we'll pray for you as you seek to explain the scriptures to us, right? Why don't you guys pray with me here? God, I thank you for, for this man and the gift that he is to this body of believers. Um, as you've gifted him um, in this, the realm of being the pastor over community groups, we're thankful for the vision he has to see Jesus made famous in, in the lives of, of this community, this body of believers. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead him now, that you would put a fire within, within his belly and that, that he would have um, a deep, deep desire to be led by you now, even in this moment, as he seeks to explain to us and exalt Jesus from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We don't, again, boast in any ability that John brings to the preaching, but we boast in your ability, Father, to use him as an instrument of grace in our lives as he seeks to explain the scriptures. May Jesus be magnified in this time of preaching now. God, help us and do this for your name's sake. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to see you. Um, As John said, my name is John Kleinschmidt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, My main oversight is over community groups, uh, which probably fits in regards to this text today. Uh, As we've seen over the last multiple weeks, um, we're continuing in the book of 1 Peter. Um, Here at Delta, we generally go through books of the Bible. Basically, that's called expository preaching, which is we seek to explain uh, what God is saying to them and to us. Uh, and John, is, uh, John Davis, he, he's done a wonderful job just leading us through verse by verse, text by text, getting this big picture of who God is. And we're going to continue with that today. And what I would just want to say just off the bat, kind of John said a little bit earlier, but if you're a newcomer or maybe you're just seeking out Jesus or trying to figure out this thing, whether Christianity is real or not real or something that you can believe or not believe, um, I just want to let you know that today's text is specific in regards to focusing on believers. Peter's writing to people who would claim to be Christians, claim that I love Jesus, and he's seeking to explain to them this big idea about loving one another. And I just want to let you know that today should be a great day for you to be here, to see what God has called Christians to, to see our imperfections and, and the perfections of Jesus, and to also see just how we as Christians seek to grow. So I hope you'll be blessed today, and I hope that at the end that, that God will stir something up in your heart for this Christian thing, this Christianity thing, to, to long for it, to want to know more about it, to seek after it. Um, so before we get into uh, kind of our opening in our text, let me pray for us, and we'll go from there. Um, Father, I just thank you for your word, for which it is good, and I ask God, would you send the Holy Spirit this morning to enlighten our eyes and our heart? My prayer this week has been that you would change us, that you would change me, that you would change us and that you would meet with us in such a real way that we would be deeply encouraged, if that's where we're at, that we will be deeply repentant, if that's where we're at, but that we would be deeply moved. God, you changed my heart when I was 19 on, and I pray that you would convey that change today in such a way that we would leave here moved by you. So God, come. We invite you in. 
We ask that you would guard this time and this space from the enemy and the deceptions of the world and that you would grant us the ability to see you. Wherever we're at, we would see you and we would taste and we'd see that you're good. So God, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how many of you guys have seen The Lord of the Rings? Yeah, that's great. So all three of them? How many is looking at three? Okay, most of you. Okay, so basically, so there's three movies, right? There's the, fellow, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The King Returns. So it, you'd be pretty confused if you started up watching The Two Towers. I mean, like if you didn't know what was going on, you pick up The Two Towers, you'd be like, okay, so what's Rudy doing out on rocks going somewhere? That doesn't make any sense. Who are these people with huge feet? Like they're not that big, but they still have humongous feet. This is kind of weird. And then why are they crying about a Gandalf guy? And then these other guys are chasing looks like monsters, which we would run away from monsters. And they also have some more people with huge feet that aren't very big. Like, I don't get it. Well, in, the, in the same way, like context means a lot. Like it helps set the parameters around what we're reading and understanding. And the same is true with the Bible. See, today is a continuation. It's like part two of last week. Last week's rhythm and the message that John brought to us was that as Christians, if you've been born again by the word of God and, and Jesus has changed your heart, you repented and believed, then you are called, commanded to love one another. You're commanded to. It's what's on you. Um, and that looks like something. You're commanded to be in community. And honestly, that's, that's why we're so big around community groups. That's why we're so big around discipleship, that God has wired that you and I, if we love Jesus, grow by loving one another and loving him. It's a command. And, and last week was the, hey, here's this command. So you've got to picture this big, beautiful tree with a command, love one another. But it didn't have the trunk on, like, the how. You know, is loving one another, giving everybody all my money? Is loving one another, smacking them in the face? What's this look like to love one another? I would prefer not the smack in the face if you want to do it. Brady's here. He'll take one for the team. Um, but th- that's the command. So it's this trunk. It's the means. And this week is the how. Like, how do we love one another, Peter? Like, he's writing these people who are suffering. They, they're suffering for their faith. And he's saying, like, so, so he says, okay, love one another. You've been born again, but how? How? And that's all today's about is just this how. What God's going to say is the how. And it might surprise you of what he says is the how. Um, but the main idea for the text today is Christians are to love one another earnestly by longing for the word of God. The main idea is going to be Christians are to love one another earnestly by longing for the word of God. And the three main veins that this is going to take place, so you can set up in your mind, before, and don't go to sleep, so set it up. You have to think with me, okay? The three ways he's going to break it down is sin kills community and loving each other. Number two, as Christians, we need the word of God to grow and love one another. And number three is killing sin and longing for the word of God flows from tasting God's goodness and salvation. Flows from tasting God's goodness and salvation. Okay? So get back to your Bible. We're going to read this text a bunch today. So it's going to be like memorizing it. That's my hope, right? No. Okay, so verse 1, read it with me. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So. He starts with this word so, which is the idea of therefore. So what's the therefore therefore, right? It's the same idea. You've been changed by Jesus. You're called to love one another earnestly with a pure heart. 
So therefore, since that's your call, put away malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, slander. Put that away. Because what kills community, what kills our love for one another is sin. It's sin. It just kills it. It completely degrades it. It completely just cuts it off. It's like termites eating the foundation. It just destroys it. And the first thing he starts with is like, hey, you need to get to this means, this means, this trunk. But before you have to do it, like you have to see there's this big fence around it that's blocking your way. That's going to completely undercut you getting to that trunk. And that's going to be sin. It's going to be sin. And the, the sins he points out maybe aren't what we would normally think we should point out. Like he doesn't say, hey, put away all malice and murder and stealing and adultery because that's really going to jack up your community. Not going to go well for you if people are stealing. Because, because what he goes after instead is he goes after this heart aspect. Because everybody knows, hey, if you're stealing from me, it's going to destroy something. Everybody can see that. Hey, if you just killed somebody, probably not loving them and probably isn't going to go so well for you with the family reunion. I mean, there's this idea that those are obvious. And what Peter's going after is saying, hey, sin kills loving one another, but you have to get beyond it to the heart of it. Because this word malice is really broad. And if you'd have just left there, people would like, Yep, so that means don't, don't um, put away all malice. That means just evil. Don't do evil. That means I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't lie. I, sh- I shouldn't murder somebody. Not doing those, I'm good. And Peter's like, yeah, guys, th- that's good. That's a win. Congratulations. There's moralism. But he goes after that and he says, but don't be deceptive. Put away deceit. Put away deceit, right? Put away all deceit. And the idea of deceit is, we can't love one another if we're lying and hiding and trying to trick one another, if we're not real about where we're at. So this context these people he's writing to, he's like, man, if you're struggling, what's going to kill your community is you acting like you're not. Like if you're really having a hard time, if your marriage is blowing up, if you're having a horrible week or you're sinning and you don't know what to do or your family's a wreck or whatever the scenario, if you're trying to deceive people to make much of you, it's going to kill community because God's call on us is to walk in the light as Jesus in the light, according to 1 John. And you can't do that if you're walking in deceit. You can't have fellowship with God and with each other. Because to be honest with you, if you're in deceit, you don't even really love yourself. And if you're not being known, no one can really love you for who you are. Deceit just kills it. I remember after we first got married, um, sitting there with Sarah, which she loves this, I'm sure. She loved this whole like hour and a half. And I just confessed like every sin and hidden thing that I could think of for like an hour, an hour and a half. Because honestly, there's this fear in my heart that she wouldn't love me if she really knew me. So I wanted her to know me. So I let her know it all. And at the end of that, she smiles, and she says, I love you. And there was freedom. She knows me. And there's love. So Peter says that deceit will kill love. It will completely cut it off. But then he goes from there. And this is hard inclination to think, to try to make others think something that's not true about you with your words. Deceit, it will kill community. The next one he hits is hypocrisy. Idea of being fake. It's a mask. It's not really what's underneath. You getting it? So it's like I had a mask of John Davis right here. So, man, John looks really good. <laughs> Whoa, it's John Kleinschmidt. Not as good looking. Um, 
So it's just the idea of being fake. And if I had a T-shirt that represented hypocrisy, it would say envy on the front and slander on the back. Because what Peter's going after is like, you know what will destroy loving one another? Being envious of one another. Being jealous. Being jealous. I mean, these people are struggling in Peter. They're sharing the gospel. And people are like losing jobs, maybe losing homes, maybe putting in prison. And if you looked out there and said, hey, why, when Chris shared the gospel, did he get a promotion and that person get saved? I shared the gospel, I lost my job. Come on. I did the same thing. I want the job. And there becomes a jealousy bit. Why, when I shared the gospel, did my sons get beat up? But when you shared the gospel, nothing happened. You were super encouraged. The next thing you know, people are coming to ask you for advice. Nobody's asking me for advice. And this is the idea that will kill loving one another is if we are jealous. Hey, congratulations on your baby, but in your heart you're saying, I want that baby. Congratulations on a new job. Man, they're stupid. I deserve that job. It will undercut everything because the Bible's call is that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And you can't do that if, if you'd rather, like, hey, you're rejoicing, and I want that is our heart inclination. Or you're mourning, and you're just like, at least it ain't me. It will kill our community if we walk in that. And the next one he hits is slander. Slander, backbiting. It's this attack. It's just basically the idea that this isn't a safe place. Like, if we slander one another as Christians, if we speak ill, like the Bible's call in Ephesians 4 is that there should be no corrupting talk that comes out of our mouth that is not good for a benefit. If we walk in that, if we sow seeds in that, it'll just completely undermine everything of honesty that we can have. It'll undermine everything because we can't be the church if we're walking in slander because we're to be a community on mission to the glory of God and we can't represent that because slander will destroy everything because nobody can trust anybody. Nobody can be honest about their sins. Nobody can listen to a rebuke because I tell Kyle where I'm struggling he turns around and he uses it against me and attacks me on it or he goes to Brian and tells him all of this just to make Kyle feel good, not to process it through, not to get wisdom. It'll undercut it. And Peter's trying to say... These heart sins will kill everything. Be aware of them. They will kill loving one another. So we have to see that. We have to see it. And he says, put it away. Take it off. Repent. The idea is to take off your shirt. I would do that, but that would distract us from the message, and it would not be good. So it's take off your shirt. Set it aside. Don't function in that. Because you need to know that if you're a Christian, Christians are going to sin against you in this body. It's going to happen. Because God's not stupid. He knows that we sin still. That's why he says put it away. He doesn't say never sin again because he knows we can't fulfill that. But he says put it away. Set it aside. Set it aside. Later on in Peter, he's going to say, above all, earnestly love one another because a love covers a multitude of sins. So you have to see that. And God lets us sin so that you and I can be recipients of grace. You know what? When I sin, somebody has to give me grace. When they sin, I have, to be, I have to give grace, which is making us practice the gospel. That's why. And it exalts our Savior. The Christian message is not that, hey, I'm really good, look at me. The Christian message is, my Savior's really good, look at him. Me as a Christian, I'm not, I'm not that great, but he's really good. But the problem with this is that putting away sin or killing it it doesn't help anything grow. Like, it doesn't actually make me love somebody. You get it? Like, killing weeds 
does not make corn grow. Everybody knows this, right? Okay. Agriculture lesson here. No, I'm kidding. They're like, it's needed for the growth, but it's not what makes things grow. And that's where we get into verse 2. That's where we get into verse 2, okay? So verse 2, read it with me. Let's do this. All right, so verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. So the logic here is, You've tasted God is good, and you want more of God. You've tasted he's good. I want more of him. I've tasted he's good in his word. I want more of his word. The idea of word here, or this idea of pure spiritual milk in the context, it's, it's the word of God. Some translations would say the milk of the word. And it's the word of God. And what that would be is the preached word. That would be the gospel. That would be the Bible. That we want more of it. We, we yearn more of it. Um, I, I know many of you know my son, Reed. Uh, we went to a pumpkin patch here recently, and we... We were there, and he wanted some pumpkin ice cream, and we said, you can have a special treat. So we got the pumpkin ice cream, and Reed took a lick, and then gave it to me, and I went to take a lick and walk away, and I turn around, and here's my two-year-old Reed swelling up with tears, like, ah, blah, blah, because he wanted the ice cream, and he thought I was taking it away from him, and he got no more. I would have put a picture up. It would have been great if, if I'd have thought of it. But because he tasted it's good, he wants more, right? That's the logic. And, and what God is saying here, and what Peter's trying to communicate is, our, our taste buds have been switched when we meet Jesus and that we are to be like newborn babies. Newborn babies. And that we are to long for the word of God, pure spiritual milk. He's trying to paint this picture, and I want you to picture it, not in detail, but in the big idea of it. And you'll hear why. He's trying to paint this picture of like a mother gives birth and is the source of life. So, she's also what sustains the baby's life, gives life, grows with the milk. And he's trying to say the same thing to us. If you look back at 123, it says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. If you love Jesus, you've been born again by the word, by the gospel, by the message, by these truths. You've been born again. So he's trying to paint a picture of like, hey, just like a baby was born, turns around and comes back to its mom, for life and substance, it's the same as Christians. We're born by the word, and then we turn around, and we're supposed to just long for it, crave for it, yearn for it, desire it, need it. It doesn't get past it. When Reed was born, um, I wish he was here. He would probably yell at me for saying, sharing these. But when he was born, he was gigantic, okay? He just was. He was 10 pounds, 24 inches long, a really big baby. Um, the nurses would make jokes of like, hey, we heard a baby was born, came out with a mustache and walking, <laughs> which Sarah really loved that one when they came in and told her that. It was great. Um, but the first thing he did, man, I mean, he was hungry. Like, I mean, he was just like born. The one, like, there's this instinct with babies. They just know, I need life outside of me. I don't know anything besides I need life outside of me, and I need it now. Give me life. I mean, the other things the baby would know is like, they know that they'll die if they don't get it. Like, there's just yearning and desire that I have to have it. I have to have this life. And that they know that the milk is sufficient. Somehow they know that what I'm getting provided to me is sufficient for what I need. And he's trying to paint this picture. It's not as a denigration like milk is used in other parts of the Bible. This is really just saying like, hey guys, 
How are you going to love one another? Is by craving this pure spiritual milk, by longing for the Word of God, obeying the Word of God. You're going to grow, and you're going to love one another. It's going to be a fruit of that. So you have to follow the logic, because he's just saying that same way we're supposed to do it. So two questions come to mind. Two questions come to mind. One, how does the Word of God grow us? Number two, how does the word make me love others earnestly? Right? How does the word grow us? How does the word make me love one others earnestly? So how does the word grow us? And, and on this one, we're just going to go quick. There's three ways that I'm just going to hit for how the word grows us. Um, it, it grows us and gives us spiritual life. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he says what really sustains man, what really grows man spiritually and in his image is the word. It gives life. So the word, it it not only gives us life, but it's that fuel, but it also grows us in knowledge. It renews our minds, number two. Um, Colossians 3, 9 and 10 say this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. So the word of God the gospel, the understanding of it, it, it changes our mind. It gives us knowledge we didn't have before. Like, who is God? What's he want? What does this matter? Like, it gives us this knowledge. Okay? And the third thing it's just going to hit is it equips us, it grows us, it gives us wisdom. So this is what Second Timothy says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So it's not ambiguous knowledge, but it's actually like, how do I carry this out? God, what do you desire? How do I actually do this? It equips us. Equips us. So in John 17, 17, Jesus says, he's praying to the Father, and he says, um, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It's God's design that his word and his gospel sustains and grows us. It is the food, it is the knowledge, and it is the wisdom by which he sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus. That's his design. That's his design. So that's how it grows us. But the next question is, how does it make me love earnestly? So it seems weird to me, like, okay, so I'm going to really love Brady today by reading my Bible. You're welcome, Brady. I'm going to love Dan because I'm just going to memorize a verse. Shazing! I'm done. That's kind of part, but not kind of part. What, what he's saying here is we long for the word of God. So think about starving. Has anybody here, I would make you say all fasting, but okay. If you've ever fasted before or been really hungry, you yearn, you crave, you're like, man, I need this. I think about this. So he's saying in that same way, we're to be about God's word. We, when we went on vacation, we were trying to find ways that we could get to Chick-fil-A for another meal. You know, we're yearning. We're trying to redirect our route. We made the kids eat lunch at 2.30 in the afternoon because we wanted to get to Chick-fil-A in St. Louis so we could have, you know, another Chick-fil-A. I mean, and that's just the truth. So we were yearning. We were being inconvenienced trying to find a way. And, and basically what he's saying here is you yearn, you grow, you desire it, you long for it, you've tasted it's good, you want more of it. And he's saying that same way, you've tasted God's good in salvation, he's changed you, you want more of it. So you, you seek his word, you seek his will. You seek the Bible. 
So as you go to it, you read it, and you maybe you come across a verse like Ephesians 4.32, forgive as Christ forgave you. Okay, that sounds really nice. But then you actually start to swallow it, right? So eating the milk does no good when you spit it out. Like you don't get any nutrients. So the swallowing portion is the obedience. Oh, forgive as Christ forgave you. Put it on a bumper sticker. But then we actually go to process it. So I long for the word. I don't want to do that. They lied to me. They took advantage of me. Why would I forgive them? I don't want to do that. But then you go and you start to process, but God, I know you're good, and if you want this for me, it must be for my good. So I'm going to choose with all my might to forgive. I'm going to ask you and beg you to help me forgive. I'm going to remember the gospel, how you forgave me when it wasn't deserved of me. And in that, when we make a resolution, I'm going to forgive, and we forgive, we love others. I had a Christian leader one time who lied to me and wasn't honest about things and was trying to basically walk in deceit around stuff. And it was hard to forgive that. But that's not my call. His call was forgive. So maybe you're reading more in Ephesians because you don't like that verse. So you go on, let's go a little earlier in Ephesians 4. And you read that and you say, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way that is into Jesus. That sounds sweet, speak the truth in love. But the context for that verse is somebody has false doctrine, a false understanding about something, or maybe they're walking in sin, and he says, hey, if you love them, Christian, you need to talk to them. You need to say it in a loving way, but you need to be honest. And you read that verse, and you think about your friend who, man, the way they're treating their wife isn't very good. Man, some of the things they believe about Jesus, you cuckoo, probably need to read your Bible instead of guessing. You know, like, whatever, like, you, you think that, and you're like, but I don't really want to talk to them because I might lose a friendship. I might hurt their feelings. What if I'm wrong? So you process that in your yearning, but you say, God, I know you're good. I yearn for more of you. You say the way that is is in your word, so I'm going to submit to you, trusting you. And in that, I'm going to love others by speaking the truth in love. And this is how it plays out. This is how it plays out, and we're sanctified. We grow. Do you get it? We become more like Jesus, just like he spoke the truth and love to us in the gospel, so we do the same. Some people like it, some won't, but that's the same way. First John, money, if you have it, somebody's actually in desperate need, it's not because of sin, and you say you love them, you don't give them any, poo-poo on that. So it's the same idea, you come and somebody's in real need for you, and you go, I got 10 grand in the bank, but I don't know if I'm going to help with that $35 need you have. And he says, they earnestly need it, that's not love, man. So you have to picture, this is how he grows us. That's how we obey the word. If you spit it out, you come to church and do nothing with it, you read your Bible and do nothing with it, you're going to find this pretty irrelevant, and you're not going to understand the gospel. You're just going to probably complain and find other people that is the reason why you're not growing outside of you. How we grow in loving others earnestly is by loving and longing for the word of God and obeying it. Like a newborn baby, we crave and yearn for it. So what I'm saying here is that everybody must memorize the New Testament. All of us. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everybody has to be a New Testament scholar, nor is that what God's saying. 
He's not saying you have to read the Bible four hours a day. But he is saying you have to yearn for it. You have to be inconvenienced. If you wouldn't skip lunch every day, you wouldn't skip your Bible every day. You have to be thinking about it. Yearning means that I'm constantly processing. How do I? What is this? What does this mean? You yearn. It looks like something, even if it's different for each one of us in some way. It looks like something, guys. If it doesn't, then we have to ask, do we know that he's good? If Reed didn't want any more pumpkin ice cream, then we'd be like, man, he must not like the pumpkin ice cream, or maybe he didn't actually have it. So what, he's, what he is saying here is that we have to yearn, we have to desire. So what do you do if you struggle? Because I would bet that a portion of us are currently struggling with desiring God's word and obeying it, will struggle, or have struggled, or all the above in some sense at the same time right now. So what do we do? What do we do? Um, Well, I think first and foremost, I just want to take a, a minute to speak to that. One, you have to figure out where you're at, okay? Thessalonians says that there are people who need help, there's people who need encouraged, and then there's people who need admonished or rebuked, okay? So you have to figure out, which one of those three am I? Am I a person who deeply desires the Word of God and to know God more deeply, and I just don't know how? Okay, then you just need to ask for help. You need to humble yourself and ask for help. Say, I don't know how to do this. Are you a person who is seeking and yearning and doing your best and just, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm doing it. Or maybe you are doing it lights out. You just need to be encouraged. Like, this is an encouragement to you. And if you're a person who just doesn't really care and thinks the Bible's basically, I don't need to seek after the Scriptures, obey the Scriptures, process them, chew on them, swallow them, whatever term you want to use, then I would say you need to repent. You need to take that shirt off that you're holding on to and say, that's not the way I'm going to think today. That's not the way I'm going to think anymore. You've got to keep taking that off daily, if need be, so that you can long for the word. But you have to say, where am I at? And then number two is you have to figure out what it, what's your excuse. Um, the Bible says a lot about being watchful, um, which if I ask Will, like, you know, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It's one of the verses we taught Will. And if you said Will, what does it mean to be watchful? He'd sit there and he'd be like, watching out for tigers. And I'm like, yes, now how do I translate that over to sin? But yeah, but really it is. It's, it's this, like, okay, I know this is a threat. I know this is a threat. So what's the threat so I can be watchful for it, okay? Um, and you should do that to Will sometime. Go up to him and say, Will, what's it look like to be watchful? See if he'll answer you. But, but it's a threat, right? So you have to figure out, what's my excuse? What's my threat to walking this out? Like, uh, I listed out a few of them, and I've asked some people their opinion. Like, what excuses or threats do we have against this? One, time. I don't have time. I don't have time for the Word. I don't have time to process this. I don't have time to seek after God in this. I just have time. And, and, and the idea behind that is just that really all you're saying is, it's not that important. I don't need it. That's what, I mean, look, bare bones, that's what you're saying. I don't need it. And the thing is that if you take, the Bible would say, as Jesus said in Matthew 4, man, if you had time to eat lunch, how do you not have time for your word? It's more important to seek after the word than it is for food. So if, you, if that means I'm going to skip lunch today so I can focus on the word, then you do it because you trust God's word. You trust God's word. If we, like, I want you to hear this part. If we don't elevate God's word and we don't submit to God's word and be empowered by his spirit, you're not going to like the rest of 1 Peter. You're just going to negate it. Mm, that doesn't sound like fun. He couldn't have meant that for me. 
let's move on to happy, happy paths. You're just not. Because he's going to challenge our hearts and see what obedience is. So is it time? I can't remember stuff, number two. I can't remember stuff. I can't remember it. Like, like, and, and the logic behind that is still making it about us. But here's the thing. Like, would you not eat lunch today if you couldn't remember what you had for lunch yesterday? I hope you would eat lunch today. But it's the same logic. Like, it's not about remembering it all. It's about trusting God, diving in and knowing God. Not remembering it doesn't negate the command to do and live and long. I mean, it's just true. Um, number, number three, you keep failing at it. I've tried really hard. Now, this is, the, this is the watchful scheme that the enemy likes to play. Tried for a while. Didn't work out for me. So and we have to be wary of that because that's making it, once again, about us. Like, I'm not going to tell Will, like, well, Will, you haven't learned to put your pants on right yet, which he has. I should have used Reed for this example, but Will, okay. You haven't learned. I guess we're going to stop. Me and your mom will get it for the next 25 years. It's going to be a long road ahead of us. So, no, I say, uh, just keep going, buddy. Put your pants on. You can do it. Go to the potty. We're not doing this forever. I hate to send you out in the public. You know, but you have to have this idea that you would not just stop. This is a relationship with God in the same way you long for it. You just don't stop because it's difficult or you're not nailing it. You pursue. You long for. The next one, you make it too complicated. We've all done this. Well, we make the 11th commandment. I have to have at least an hour to make this worth it. Otherwise, i got nothing. I can't pursue God's word. I can't think about God's word. I can't pray to God unless I have an hour. It's just not worth it. We make it too complicated when his command is to yearn. It's to yearn. It's to think on. It's to contemplate. It's to be like, I'm starving. Where is it? I need it. I need it. And the last few is just one, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. That could be legit. Like Peter says in 2 Peter, hey, we read the, the writings of Paul. Hmm, I don't get it all, man. This guy's really sharp, and it's true, but I don't totally get it. And I'm having to study and process it. There could be an aspect of you don't get it. And you need to know, as Christians, that's okay. God's made that to create humility in you as you pursue him, as you ask others, saying I don't get it and checking out. That's not the right response. That's not the right response. The other I don't get it is you take it too flippantly. Well, I don't get it. Um, and then you look at your life and be like, well, it's because you're on Facebook at the same time. So that's not helping you. You're also watching the Cardinals game, which you're yelling about. And then you're, you're also sitting there, you know, tweeting. I don't tweet, but you me might. So, and he, it's just the idea that it just gets in the way. And you're taking it too flippantly. You're not taking it seriously. It's the same thing as last night. I walk in talking to Sarah, and I go to tell her something about the sermon, and then I see, like, a cardinal get a base hit, and I'm just like this. And she goes, hello. And I'm like, I don't know what I was going to say. (laughs) She's like, duh. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Duh is what I'm at. So it's just this idea that the same thing, you wouldn't do that talking with your wife, be like, man, I just don't get what we talked about last night. What were you doing at the same time? Playing a video game. Well, shut the thing off and look at your wife. Same thing with God. Like, shut the TV off, put the phone in the other room, disconnect to the computer, take some time to be with God. It's how you grow. Um, And the last one is, I know this stuff. 
I know this stuff. Come on, I know the Bible. I got the action Bible memorized. I got pictures and stuff I can even look at. And let me appeal to you that, that none of us move beyond the scriptures or the gospel or pursuing God through them. None of us. If Paul is in prison about to die in 2 Timothy and he writes to people saying, bring me my scrolls and the parchments, please, I need those. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and he's longing for the word so he can be refreshed in them. Or Jesus in John 7, where they say they're amazed at his teachings and or at his learning. And really, in the Greek, it can be like his understanding of the letters, like that he understands the Bible. If, if it's true about that, of, of our need for the word, and that's the amazement, we need it. More than you need Calvin's Institutes, more than you need another sermon, more than you need just some other ambiguous thing, even if it's really good, you need to yearn for God, his word, his gospel for yourself. Do you get that? This is huge. This is what God's commanding. If we love Jesus, this is how we grow. This is how we grow. I'm pleading for you to get this because your life, our testimony as a church is so hindered on us getting this. Like I've been asking God and begging for God to give you and me a desire for his word that's unmatched because we just play around with it. We just act like it's just, we're just going to grow. I go to church and it's sufficient. And the Bible clearly says, no, it's not. People that don't know Jesus go to church and they're on the same path. Like how do you think that now makes you fruitful? And he's designed it so that we need him. We need the spirit. We need the word. And we have to get this. Because honestly, it's also tied to your salvation. Read the end of verse 2. That by it you may grow up into salvation. Into salvation. The idea in this text is result in salvation. Hello? You got me? Word. Okay. So what Peter's telling them is, um, whatever I just said, because I forgot where I was at. Kidding. So the, the, the gospel works in such a way that it changes us and that we grow. Growth results in salvation is what it says in the text. Growth is required for salvation is what Peter just said to them. This is not opposite of the gospel. We all know that according to the Bible, the way we're saved is we repent and believe. But what Peter's saying is repentance and belief that leads to no growth is not true repentance and belief. It's required for salvation. It's not like, like a lot of people think, like, you know what, someday we're all going to be shocked at who's in heaven. Peter would say, no, we're not. We're going to see those people grew and had fruit. Those people didn't. Class A makes sense they're going to be in. Class B doesn't make sense. He's saying A is what makes sense. A is what's going to evidence. So the gospel is true, but the gospel has effect. Is what he's saying. He's like, I mean, if you don't grow, there's some huge concerns right here. Huge. Huge. And he's saying this will result in salvation. Sinner's prayer when you're eight. Like, I've heard this people talk before. Man, my son, when he was eight years old, said the sinner's prayer, he's saved. After that, nothing. And they're like, please pray that he'll start coming to church again. 
And the reality of it is, is please pray that they'll be saved, that they'll repent and believe and be changed, not just come to church. Because no fruit means no eternal salvation, is what Peter just said. And we have to get that, because I'm scared for some of you, because my story was that I, I went to church when I was a little kid. I started going to church again when I was in high school. I went down, down a walkway, signed a card saying, man, I believe this gospel, and I have no idea what you're talking about, but thank you for giving me a card here. And then I started going to church some. But I didn't know Jesus for two more years. My life meant nothing. It looked like none of it. It's just like, man, I felt bad that I don't go to church. And I'm scared that some of you are in that same boat. But some of you right now are just coming to church because it's what you do, and it's not because Jesus has changed your heart, and there's really no fruit. And the Bible gives just some objective evidence from right here, even in this text that we're looking at. Objective evidence, um, one, <laughs> sorry, I'm, out, I'm off my outline now, so I'm all throwing myself off. The objective evidence of whether we are knowing Jesus or not knowing Jesus, which is going to be part of our next section, is are we loving one another? Are we? Are we loving one another? Are we yearning for the word of God? Are we? Are we killing sin? Are we? Are we growing? If we're not, then the Bible would say we probably aren't saved. We probably don't know him as much as we want to act like we do. He is fighting for our souls here. He's fighting for our souls. And verse 3 is to be a contemplation. So read verse 3 with me. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. Some translations would say since or now that you have instead of if. The word's an if. Peter's trying to get them to think, have I? Because the way these commands are on us is if we've tasted the Lord is good. These are not ambiguous. Like you can't fulfill these commands of loving one another, seeking the word, growing or killing sin unless you've tasted the goodness of God and salvation. And he's trying to make this plea of thinking, have I tasted it? Do I know him? The goodness he's going after is the gospel. Like, have you and I, have we tasted his goodness? Have we tasted it? And the idea of the gospel is, the gospel is, there's one God. And that every one of us is accountable to that one God. And then all of us have sinned. And if you want to think of sin, you know what that means? It's basically we're all wicked. All of us, to our core. We're completely wicked. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We don't think we need God. He can, he can serve my needs. I did it. My stuff. Like, honestly, the Bible says that we're all ISIS. All of us in our heart is ISIS. It doesn't play out that we're killing people physically, but in our hearts we're murdering them because we're jealous of what they have and we want it. And James would say that if you're jealous like that, then in your heart you're murdering them. You're murdering them. You'd say, I'd rather them be dead so I can have it. All of us are ISIS to the core. And he says that in the gospel, God should kill us, smite us, destroy us forever because we're opposite of him because he's holy and he's good. But instead of that, he gives Jesus that he sacrificed. He gave his only son to die in our place because we are his enemies. And then we take that flippantly. And what he's saying is that if you've tasted the goodness of the gospel, 
then this is your call on you because you've been changed and will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And if you haven't, then you have to taste the goodness of the gospel because you can't do anything else. You can't be moral enough to get to God. You can't do good enough things. You're not going to be nice enough. You've got nothing to hang your hat on but Jesus. And he's saying, if you've not tasted the goodness, then you've got to start with the goodness. First things first. My prayer this week is that God would pour out his spirit on us. We would leave here um, longing for the word of God. We'd leave here repenting where we need to repent. We'd leave here seeking after whether we know God or not, and that some people would be given the faith right now to just believe. Like you're sitting here being like, I don't know if I believe that, or I hear that, I don't know what to do. Man, the Bible would say what you do right now is you turn and you believe. You say, God, I trust you. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You believe. And, and my other prayer has just been that some of you would be deeply encouraged, deeply encouraged. Like this isn't a beat-up. This is be encouraged. This is how we grow if you're doing it, whether it's taking you four years and you're still struggling or whether you're, you're just getting saved yesterday, you would be deeply, deeply encouraged. Deeply encouraged. Like I have a friend in this church, he's been growing the last three or four years, and he would say, man, I suck at this. I suck. That's what his, his own terms would say at times. But he's yearning. He is trying to find ways to grow in the gospel and in God's word. And he's going to fight for it. And he knows it, and he's yearning for it. And God is pleased in that yearning. He's pleased in it. This isn't perfection. This is, are we longing for God and his word or not? I pray that some of you would have the humility to ask for help if you don't know it, if you need it. I pray for some of you that you would repent if you're just completely being flippant with God's word and you say you're a Christian. That you would just take off that shirt daily and you just repent, repent, repent. 95 Theses, Martin Luther, right? First thing he says, which I agree with, is it is the continual thing of believers to repent. It's what we're called to do, and God's not done. That's why he says, put it off. Put it away. Do it daily. It creates humility in our hearts. It does. If you don't know where to start as far as, like, seeking, start simple. Pray. Start today. Don't, Proverbs says don't neglect a good today that, that you could do today and put it off till tomorrow. Start today. Start simple. Just read half a verse. Ask God to speak to you. Read half the chapter. Ask God to speak to you and be honest with somebody. Start. Get a good study Bible. ESV study Bible is phenomenal. It's like 35 bucks. If you can't afford it, the church would get it for you. Get it. Go. Start. Yearn. If there's a yearning, you're going to find a way. If you yearn for chocolate, I bet you find a way to have cookies. If you yearn for the football game, I bet you are inconvenienced to find a way to watch the game. Why would we neglect God and his word in such a way other than that? Um, Wrapping it up. Thanks for you to contemplate before we get to communion, which is what we do as a celebration of Jesus' work, the goodness of God. If you've not tasted the goodness or you're being flippant with the goodness of God, don't take communion. Nobody's going to think any different of you. Examine your heart for God. Ask him to help you. Turn to him. I'll be in the back. Um, you need to ask, have I tasted he's good? Are you taking your sin flippantly, or is there anyone you're not loving by obeying the word of God? 
Ignorance can be sin, guys. First, First Corinthians 8, they were ignorant. Paul had nothing bad to say about them. Hebrews, they were ignorant, and he says, you guys should not be ignorant anymore. You have no excuse. Saying, I don't understand the Bible when you could, can be, and as much of the time, sin. Um, are you longing for God's word? And lastly, celebrate grace. I'm not always the gracious guy, okay? It's something God's grown me in. But celebrate grace. Ephesians 1 says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He wants this for you. Celebrate grace. He knows. Put off the sin and celebrate them. It's not about you or me. I've been having to confess sin all the last few weeks as I've processed this. Celebrate grace. Jesus, you're good. You want this in my life, so help me. You have all authority on heaven and earth. It's going to take all that authority to move me. Well, celebrate grace. He wants it. Trust it. Let me pray. Father, I just, um, God, I just ask, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would your spirit pour out on us? Would the men of this congregation lead their homes and be examples to their wives in seeking the words? Would they not start with where somebody else should be, but they'd see it starts with me? God, and I pray that um, for any women or men that are just struggling in this, God, you would give them a deep affection for your word that you would create a longing for them that would be that of starvation and that they would grow because their own health eternally, their own health now, the church, the gospel hinges on that. We're so flippant with our sin because we don't take you seriously. Forgive us for the way that we just despise your authority in our life. Give us the grace and let us see that even in that, you say celebrate Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Let the enemy not deceive us by pointing out all the accusations that may be true, but rather let us be like those in Revelation 12 who say, yeah, it's true, but praise be the gospel. Praise be the gospel. And I ask God, would you refresh some of our hearts in the goodness of you today? Some of us know you, and we still just need a refreshing of the goodness of you, and I pray that you would do that. You'd refresh our hearts in in the reality of our sin and the goodness of the gospel. And God, I pray that anyone here God, who's just even contemplating or wondering or maybe they're deceived into thinking they're a Christian when they're not, that you would give them repentance and faith and they would just somehow know, I need him. I need him. And you would pour that out and you would give that measure of grace. So God, let us, out of your call to love one another, because we've been reborn, let us put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn infants, crave the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into salvation if indeed we've tasted the Lord is good. God, help us worship. Pour out your spirit. We need you so bad. Amen.